We're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 8. We've just been walking slowly through the book of Acts, and it's probably one of the coolest books in the Bible to just linger in and journey in and to ask questions of, and then more importantly, to let it ask questions of us as a church community. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Acts chapter 8, I'm going to read from verse 4. And the background to this has been the early church, the Holy Spirit has come and the early church is growing, exploding, if you like. And there's a mini revival happening. Uh, lots of people outside of the church are unhappy about that and persecution is starting to break out and it's really difficult to be a Jesus follower in the city of Jerusalem. Um, and we've just had our first death, our first martyrdom where Stephen, a young evangelist, has been stoned to death. And Stephen being killed, would you imagine what would happen if that happened here in Orangefield? It would be horrendous. And some of you would be thinking, can I possibly come back to that church? Can I, what, what do we do? And, and that's what happened. You know, so a lot of the leaders and the people in the Jerusalem church were like, we can't possibly stay here. It's not safe. So they, they, they moved out. They, they left the city where the persecution was and they went to Jerusalem and they went to Judea and they went to Samaria and they went to the ends of the earth. Ironically, just like Jesus had said, you will be my witnesses and you will go and do these things. It took a persecution to enable them to step into what God was calling them to do and to become. And so that's the background. And we're going to look a little bit at the story of Philip as he leaves Jerusalem and goes to Samaria. So we're reading from verse 4. Listen now for the word of God. Those who had been scattered preached the word of God wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip they, and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished at the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem, so some of the leaders had stayed in Jerusalem, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria and the Samaritans had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them and they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We're gonna stop there. We're going to thank God for his words. 
that raises questions for us and hopefully asks questions of us, which is kind of exciting. Let's pray for a second before we step into this. Father, passages like this scare us a little bit and excite us. Help us not to be scared to lean into your word, to ask honest questions of it, and to listen for your spirit speaking through your living word, asking questions of us and inviting us to become the people you want us to become and to live the lives you want us to live. So Spirit, speak to us, we pray. Shape our minds and shape our hearts by your word and in your love. In Jesus' name, people of God said, amen, amen. I don't know what's good. For some reason, the stuff in my pocket is annoying me this morning. I don't know why that is. It's weird. Um, I had the joy, the privilege of being over in London for a couple of days at the start of the week on behalf of Orangefield um, with Alpha. And we were over gathering with um, church leaders from around the world. There was about 200 church leaders from 28 different countries um, all over the world um, there at what they call the Alpha Leaders Collective. And we were hearing stories about what God is doing through Alpha all around the world. It was absolutely incredible. I'm going to show in a second one of the videos uh, of that. Um, but the, the couple of days were about, I guess, building relationships between Alpha and Orangefield, and thinking how Alpha can help serve not just Orangefield, but the church in Northern Ireland, um, and for the Alpha guys at the center to, to listen a little bit to what our experience of Alpha has been here in Northern Ireland. So it was a really interesting couple of days, but, but the highlight, the absolute highlight, was hearing stories of how God is moving around the world. And I want to share a video of one of those stories that has just absolutely taken my breath away. So let's put the video on now. My name is Brother Jason Vergara from the Light of Jesus family, a Catholic charismatic community here in the Philippines. Uh, I am a missionary of our community, so I started serving in this community way back five years ago. We were, the, we were the first one to use Alpha here in, in Cebu, here in Barili. Uh, Kuya Bogs told me, Jason, if you will try Alpha, uh, believe me, everybody will do it. So that's what happened right now. Uh, there's a lot of leaders right now who are trying Alpha, especially in Cebu City area and even in the Mindanao. Uh, January 2020, we started, uh, we started a small group here, but pandemic strikes uh, I've seen a lot of people who lost their hope and they're struggling because of the pandemic so it seems God revealed it to me Jason you have to do something because everybody is uh, is running empty so you have, you have to do something that will inspire them to motivate them to live again and to hope again so I gave it a try again, the Alpha. So I started with seven people. Sa Purokambirnes. So mga magit uh, dalawang oras yung lakad natin. So, <laughs> takatulog naman. <laughs> Tara! 
we don't have enough um, luxury of venue here so we just use the any place that is available especially under the mango tree or any any kind of tree so as long as we're safe there so we started there it was really uh, amazing because from seven people uh, from one group we were able to establish six groups after three months and after six months from six groups we were able to establish 12 groups so one of our strategy is not just to bring the word but to look for leaders because i've realized if, if you will not be intentional of looking for leaders you cannot expand the journey was not easy it seems that god is doing is cooking something so that struggle was like an ingredient for more success for more uh, let's say uh, more people to come and join alpha so for a year i was able to establish uh, 66 uh, alpha group and we are in the second year right now so right now we have 70 groups of alpha as of the moment and counting and alpha is the missing ingredients especially to our community uh, when alpha came to the scene in our community it's like a bomb a nuclear atomic bomb to our community because we grow we grow we grow and we expand and i guess the exact word why i'm doing this is out of compassion so i've seen a lot of young people right now who are lost and they don't know what to do and they uh, they don't know their purpose and i always remind them during the course that your purpose in life is to love god and to serve god only in Christ that you will fulfill your true potential. And also, it's, it is not enough to know Christ. We must bring Him to others. How cool is that? I, I'm just genuinely struck by, you know, the pandemic hits. It's a massive problem. We could run all off, of course. Only six people turned up. Does that mean it didn't go well? We'll run it again. It's, uh, we, we've no roads to get to places. We'll, we'll walk two hours into the jungle to run off. We've no buildings. We'll run them under the, the mango tree. Um, over 70 Alpha courses, people coming to faith, giving their lives to Jesus. Churches flourishing. It's a problem or is it an opportunity? One of the things that strikes me, and I'm still trying to work everything out in this, so um, this will probably raise questions with you when I say it. One of the problems you might have perceived is that's happening in the Catholic Church around the world. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but 400 years ago, 
the Catholic Church had lost its way and God breathed life into it through a reformation. Now, eventually that led to people coming out of the Catholic Church um, and the Protestant Church, the Reformed Church, the Presbyterian Church was born at that time. But as you hear stories like that, you can't help but wonder and you gotta be praying. God, are you breathing new life? Are you doing another reformation at the minute? Calling your people back to you. I have nothing but hope and optimism. I have questions, but I've got hope and optimism as I see that as well. It's interesting because the, our text today is in Acts chapter 8, and I, I set this up for you earlier, that there's this persecution happening in Jerusalem it's a hostile environment. It's a, it's a problematic environment. Someone's just been killed for being a Christian, and it's only a small community, so, so everybody would have known them. Everybody would have heard about it. And, and, and is that the time to go, oh, man, like, this must be wrong. Let's, let's retreat back. Let's hide. Let's... And yet that problem creates the opportunity for Jesus' prophetic words. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to become a reality. As these leaders move out to go and make disciples. And Philip is one of the leaders. Do you remember uh, a couple of chapters ago whenever they, they birthed the first church committee? Remember the problem with the, the, the widows they needed to provide more leaders to feed people and to have that compassion food bank kind of ministry? Philip was one of the leaders that was appointed at that time. And he leaves Jerusalem. He's, a, he's an anointing on him for evangelism. He leaves Jerusalem. He goes into Samaria. And Samaria is maybe Samaria is how Protestants in Ulster would have seen the Roman Catholic Church. See the Roman Catholic Church. Jews in, in Jerusalem would have looked at Samaria as people who had maybe compromised and watered down and stepped away slightly from the truest parts of faith. The Samaritans still looked to God but didn't have a, a full, robust theology or experience or encounter with God. Didn't we, didn't we see that when Jesus ministered to the woman at the well? The conversations, they happened there. Philip goes to Samaria and, and where there were problems, he sees opportunities. And everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. Everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. Everywhere he went, he said, you're looking at this and believing in this. Let me lift your eyes to him. Let me lift your eyes to the one true God that we see in Jesus Christ who has come amongst us. And the other week when I was preaching here, we were talking about problems or opportunities is a cost of living crisis? Is it a problem or is it an opportunity for the church to be the church? There's a spirit of fear in the population here in Northern Ireland. Is that a problem or is that an opportunity for the church to be the church? There's problems in politics. You've seen that in the news, but Karen's been leading us in prayer. Is that an opportunity for the church to be the church? An opportunity for us not just to be people who know the good news, but for people who, who live and speak out that good news. I wonder how willing you are to be a Philip, to be a good news person in the world we live in today. I wonder who 
in your life needs to hear the good news, needs to know the good news of Jesus? Is that a problem or is that an opportunity? This text that we read, incredible story of, of revival breaking out in the city, the Samaritan city. There's some interesting things going on here. There's, there's two things in this passage that as I've sat with it, preparing it, reading it, have just leapt off the pages at me. I've been like, oh man, that's, what is going on there? So those are the two things we're gonna lean into this morning. Because sometimes those are the things that the Spirit wants to, to speak. And if you have the same questions, maybe this message is for you this morning. I want to talk about freedom in Jesus. I want to talk about fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because we see people in this passage being set free in the name of Jesus. We see people in this passage being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way it happens causes me, causes I think us to, to ask questions. So the first thing we see is that Simon is one of the main characters in this story. As, as, as Philip comes into the city in Samaria, as he preaches, he proclaims the good news. One of the, the key leaders in the city is, is a guy called Simon, who is a sorcerer, a practicer of dark magic. Um, he is often associated with the historical character of Simon Magnus, who was a sorcerer and a leader in Samaria at this time. Now, it can be hard when you look at these historical characters to, and you look in Scripture, but you look at other historical sources outside of the Bible to distinguish what is fact and what is kind of myth and legend, because sometimes these things get, you know, well, the fish I caught was, do you know what I mean? And things get added to it, normally by preachers who are trying to make the story sound better. So some sources outside of the Bible talk about this guy, Simon, they say he could levitate, Probably a bit far-fetched. But is, is there a slide, PowerPoint slide there I can show? Yeah, this is a piece of art um, from the uh, Nuremberg Chronicle of uh, a confrontation between Peter and Simon Magnus. And you can see uh, Simon is levitating and Peter is, is praying and attacking him in this um, just a piece of kind of Gothic art, which I thought was kind of cool. It was interesting just to capture some of what is going on. Could he levitate? Probably not. I'm not convinced about that. Um, some of the church leaders from the past, uh, Arrhenius, Justus Martus, uh, Hippolytus, um, they, they associate Simon Magnus as the founder of Gnosticism. That probably is true, actually. So it is. Uh, a different stream of religious thinking and philosophical thinking. Well, we know from the Bible, what we know from the Scripture, and that's where I want to base this on today, he was known as the great power. He was known as the great power. And because he had this great power that was able to, to do really impressive things, all the people in the city were amazed by him and were influenced by him. I guess the question I want to ask is, what was that power? Where did it come from? And were the people amazed and influenced by him as a person or by the power that he was wielding? You see, we are Christians and we believe that there are essentially two sources of power in the universe. One is from God. And then there is a source of power that is not from God. The accuser, the enemy, the devil, the Satan, however you want to describe it. These are not two equal powers. These are not two equal beings. 
But if somebody is wielding a source of power and it is not coming from God, the Christian God, then I want to suggest that it is demonic in influence. If it is not from God and God glorifying and God honoring, then it is from the enemy. When we go right back to the start of the Bible and to the creation story in Genesis, we see God creating this perfect world. And in the perfect world, he creates a garden. And in the garden, he puts humanity, Adam and Eve. And they are invited to trust him completely. That God is the author of life. God is perfect. God is, is love. God is compassion. And he invites Adam and Eve to trust him and walk in a, a relationship and a life that trusts God. And he says, if you do this, this will lead to your flourishing. But you know the story? The serpent comes along, the serpent we associate with, with the Satan, the devil. And the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? You can't eat from that tree. Did God really say that's going to harm you? Surely you can make your own choices. Surely you know what's best for you. And Eve looked at the fruit and saw that it was good and took it and ate it and offered it to Adam. And Adam looked at it and saw it and he ate it as well. And in that moment, they chose to trust themselves rather than trusting God. And we know the story, sin came into the world, the whole world, the whole fabric of the universe fell from that perfected state. But there was something more subtle going on. As you look at the story, it's easy to think, yeah, that they were trusting themselves rather than God. But who gave them the thought to trust themselves rather than God? The enemy, the devil. Did God really say? Sowing lies, sowing doubts, sowing mistrust, sowing uh, a, a, a picture of a different reality with, with you and me at the center and not God at the center. And what Adam and Eve did in that moment and what humanity has been doing ever since has been trusting the whispers of the enemy rather than trusting God. As God who is perfect, as God is perfect love, gives a picture of what it looks like to follow him and lead a life that flourishes. Here we have it in Scripture. And he sends Jesus into the world to make that life available and possible to you and to me. That's who God is. That's what God has done. But, but the enemy, just like he did in the creation story, continues to whisper into each one of our lives. So you make your own choices. You date whoever you want. You marry whoever you want. You choose your own sexuality that you think will lead to your happiness and your flourishing. You spend your money on whatever you want. It's your money after all. Didn't you work hard to get it? And we think that we're elevating self and making self the greatest but in actually what we're doing is not trusting ourselves. We're trusting the whispers of the enemy. Because God is perfect love and God is perfect compassion. His plans, his purposes are perfect. We are told that again and again in Scripture. What are we told about the enemy? We're told that he is the, the father of lies. We're told that his agenda is to steal and kill and destroy. Which in my mind is the complete antithesis, the opposite of a life that is flourishing a life shaped by love and compassion. And this enemy whose 
role is to steal and kill and destroy. His greatest weapon then in the Garden of Eden and today continues to be that he is the father of lies, painting a picture of an alternative reality and lying to you to say this life, this alternative life from God will lead to your happiness. Lies continue to be his greatest weapon, but he also wields a supernatural power and an authority. When Jesus came into this world to give his life on the cross, there was two things that happened in that moment. Jesus, God in skin, came into the world, died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. His death atoned for your sins if you trust in him. When you give your life to Jesus, his death on the cross pays the price for your sins. You get to be forgiven. You get to have a forgiven life. You get to become a child of God. But there's another thing happened on the cross as well as Jesus died on the cross as he rose again on the third day and that was a victory. A victory over the power of the enemy. A victory over the authority over the, of the enemy. A victory over sin and death and evil. And so when we talk about the power of God and the power of the enemy, God is all-powerful. Satan is a defeated enemy, a wounded lion. Is he dangerous? Of course he is. But is he equal to God? Not even close. Not even close. Somebody described it as, you think of, of Satan like an ant and God like an atomic bomb in terms of power. Not even close. And so to follow Jesus, to, to give your life to God, we talk about repenting. Repenting literally means to turn from this way of living and this way of thinking, following an alternative reality, turning and changing your thinking and giving your life to God. Jesus' death on the cross enables you to repent and turn to God. Paul talks about be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Start to allow God's word to shape your idea of the best life. Start to allow God's word to shape your idea of how you are supposed to be and how you're supposed to live, to live your best life. And it's allowing, repenting, having your mind transformed as you seep in God's word leads you into the life that God wants you to live. And it leads you away from the lies of the enemy and for the alternative reality that he wants you to understand. Philip, going back into the text, Philip goes into Samaria and he preaches the good news. He proclaims that Jesus is God come amongst us, God with skin on that his death, his resurrection is the key to your forgiveness, to your flourishing. He is the atonement for your sins. He is the victory over the darkness. And what we see happen under Philip's ministry is people repent and there are conversions and they are baptized into the name of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a second. And they are delivered from the power of the enemy. We are told that as people start to follow Jesus, lots of people, um, evil spirits come out of lots of people and there are shrieks and cries. Now, it's hard for us to picture that, but there is a sense of deliverance that happens from the power of the enemy. 
There's a repentance turning from the, the truth of the enemy or the false truth of the enemy, but there is a deliverance that happens in the lives of some people from the power of the enemy, from the influence of the enemy. Because remember, Satan had been at work in the city through Simon the sorcerer. Lots of people hadn't just bought into his story. They weren't just drinking his Kool-Aid. They were being influenced by his dark practices. And as we think about today, mostly Satan, the enemy, still works by whispering, trust yourself, trust yourself, trust yourself. Do what makes you happy. Mostly he works today as the father of lies. And as we read a story like this, sorcery seems strange to us, doesn't it? It seems strange to us. But there are some modern-day equivalents. Witchcraft, Ouija boards, charms, faith healers, fortune tellers, horoscopes. Organizations that are, are secretive and invite you to make oaths and, and declare things to, that aren't to God, like, like the Masonic. Are all heavily influenced by the enemy are all heavily influenced by the enemy, are all drawing on a power and an authority that are not from God and don't claim to be from God. And if a power is not from God, where is it from? The enemy. And you need to make a decision. You need to decide whether these things are kind of harmless, fun things you dabbled in as a kid Or actually, are they like doorways that you can open that give the enemy influence over your life and over your living, over your thinking, impacting your self-esteem, your concentration, your relationships, your addictions? If you're not a Christian this morning, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to bring you forgiveness, to bring you freedom, and to give you eternal life. That in Jesus you will find the life that you are longing for, that you are desperate for. And what you have to do is to repent, to pray, to turn to him, and to allow him to shape your thinking, your heart, your living with the reality of life he paints in the Bible. But for Christians this morning, Christians who are completely forgiven, because once you come to Jesus, you are no longer a child of darkness, you're a child of God. You're adopted into his family. You are perfectly forgiven. Jesus' death on the cross has paid the price for all your sins, past, present, and future. But if you're a Christian this morning who in the past has dabbled in some of those darker practices, even innocently, even naively, you've went and had your, your palm read or you've read your horoscopes or maybe in the past you've been a member of a, a secretive organization. There can still be influence of the enemy impacting your life. You are completely forgiven, but, but maybe you're not completely free from that influence. And it could be influencing, he could be influencing your view of yourself, your relationships, your addictions. 
I'm not talking about possession. If you're a Christian, you belong to God. You're not possessed. But just as the enemy continues to whisper lies to Christians today, trying to lead them away from God, sometimes when you've opened a door in your past, there can be influence there. Kind of like um, I used to play rugby when I was a kid, and we had a, when I was in school playing rugby, we had a, a teacher who, I probably shouldn't say his name, because it's going to be on live stream, but he was obsessed to make sure boys had good personal hygiene. So after rugby, he insisted everyone got a shower afterwards. I was fine. As a dad, no problem with that now. Um, but there were moments, I confess, coming off the rugby pitch, stinking, caked in mud, sweaty, just a you know, typical teenage boy. Um, got a shower. And then in my rush to get to the bus to get home, I, I, I put on my rugby kit again. Have you ever done that or seen your son or grandson do that or your, one of your kids? I got a shower and then put the dirty clothes on again. Was I perfectly clean? Yes, I was. Was the clothes that I put on, the choices I made still align the influence, the impact of my past to have a bearing on my present and future? Yes, it was. That's what I mean. If you've opened a doorway, even if you're a Christian, there can still be an influence of the enemy there. All you have to do is close it. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance just very simply, very quietly to pray those prayers, to name those things, and just to say, God, I'm really sorry about this. Forgive me, close that door. I'm fully yours. We'll do that in a second. The final thing I want to share today, uh, we talk about fullness of life in Jesus, because Jesus wants you to live fully for him. The final thing I want to share this morning is the fullness of the Spirit. We were over... Like I said, um, with the Alpha guys over at HTB for a couple of days at the start of the week, and um, Nikki and Pippa Gumble, who are just the most incredible people, they're now retired, um, but still doing loads of ministry. They were along. Nikki's the founder of Alpha. He was the vicar of HTB, and they were interviewed. And Pippa, his wife, was asked the question: You know, tell us about the time in the 1980s when the Holy Spirit filled Nikki, and she shared this story of. Um, John Wimber, who is the founder of the Vineyard Movement, was over at the church and um, had been preaching. Uh, and Nicky Gumbel walked in, and he was uh, still a lawyer at that stage, still a, maybe a barrister at that stage. And he, he was in his suit, and um, he sat there. He was a Christian, but, but he sat down and was listening to the talk and kind of engaging, kind of not engaging. And then at the end, John Wimber prayed, Come, Holy Spirit. And Nicky started to feel this trembling in his body. He describes it like, like uh, electricity, like sources of power coming just into him, into him, into him. And, and John Wimber from the sea just looks down and says, that's God giving that man the gift of evangelism right now. And it just kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And at one point, Nicky said, or Pippa said, Nicky was actually on the floor as God ministered to him as people prayed with him. And he went on from that to, to step out of the legal world and into the church and to take this discipleship tool of the Alpha Course and to make it an evangelistic tool that for 25 plus years has been changing lives on every continent 
on the planet and continues to be a vehicle that God is using to bring reformation and new life into parts of his church that were considered dead. Absolutely incredible. And, and Nikki and Pippa said, now every time we meet, we pray, come Holy Spirit. And it's, it's not saying God's not in this room. God, would you please come in? God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. It, it's a prayer of yielding. It's saying, Spirit of God, you are here in this place. We recognize that. I yield now to your love. Come and fill me. I yield now to what you want to do and say. Your agenda is more important than mine. Come and move. Come and rule. Come and reign. It's a prayer of surrender. Come, Holy Spirit. It's not magical words. It's, it's words of surrender. It's words of yielding. And it's words we try to pray here in Orangefield regularly as well. Philip preaches uh, here and people repent and they are delivered from evil spirits. They are baptized into the name of Jesus, but it's weird. They don't receive the Holy Spirit. You see that? It's weird, isn't it? And then Peter and John who are in Jerusalem, they hear about this amazing thing that God is doing amongst um, the Samaritans, part of God's people who have lost their way hundreds of years before and are now considered to be just nothing really. And so they come to see what is happening. They come in and they see these, these men, these women, these children with a faith that is alive and vibrant, but they, don't have, they haven't received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John lay hands on them and pray, come Holy Spirit, and these new believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's weird because as an evangelical Protestant, Presbyterian, I don't quite know what to do with that theology, with that picture. Because the evangelical church would read this text and say, well, obviously they weren't properly saved then. And so they needed, they'd only received a Jesus baptism. They hadn't received a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit baptism. So, so they weren't properly saved. So they had to bring the big boys in to, to do it right. And, and, and that's what happens. The problem is that is they've already repented. They've experienced deliverance ministry from the power of the enemy that they were under. They've been baptized and there is no mention that they are re-baptized. So whatever's going on here, they, they, they've already become Christians. They're already followers of Jesus. See, the Pentecostal church, they, they would articulate this as, well, this is the, the proof text for the second baptism. That you give your life to Jesus, you become a Christian, you get baptized with water, and then sometime later, you are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what they would teach. I struggle with that because I do believe that when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit comes and makes his home in your life, that you're filled with the Spirit at the moment of salvation, not a later moment. But there's another option of how to read this text, and that is this, that God was doing a new thing. The Samaritans had been part of the Jewish people, but five, six hundred years before had lost their way. 
had been forgotten about, had been looked down on, and they weren't a proper religion. And here we see Jesus coming by his spirit and opening their hearts and multiple Samaritan men and women giving their lives to Jesus. And God in his kindness recognized this could be so divisive because the, the church in Jerusalem could go, well, they're just Samaritans. There's no way. So God moves slowly. And these people give their lives to Jesus. And then the leaders from the church in Jerusalem, they came and they saw the transformed lives, that the power of God at work in these people. And they laid hands on and they prayed, come Holy Spirit, and they received the Holy Spirit that their salvation experience in this moment wasn't completely, it was a longer journey, but it happened that way so God could heal his church. It happened that way so unity could happen. That what we see here is not a principle to say this is how the Holy Spirit comes into people's lives. What we see here is a principle for how God moves to, to bring healing and unity amongst different groups of people as his Spirit moves. I wonder what you think, but I'm convinced by the latter of those. But I'm also convinced by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 18, when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's an aorist tense. It's a continuous word. It, it means be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being filled, as somebody once said, because we leak. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've never prayed that prayer, come Holy Spirit, if you've never asked the Spirit to fill you, if you've never come for prayer ministry, if you've never had somebody lay hands on you and pray for you just to be filled with the love and power of God, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but, but I do want to suggest you're missing out. You're not opening yourself up to the fullness of what God has made available to you. Nicky Gumbel was a Christian before he went to that church meeting. He had given his life to Jesus. He'd been baptized. He had repented. He was forgiven. The Holy Spirit has made his home in his life. 100% he had. But in that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, he knew more of God's love. In that moment, he, he began to share in God's heart for the lost. In that moment, he received power from God to share Jesus with the people who didn't know him. The more you are open to the Spirit, the more of God you will experience in your life. I don't mean know about. I think knowing's important, but I'm talking about experiencing. The more open you are to the Holy Spirit, the more of God you will experience, the more of his love, the more of his heart for the least and the lost and the lonely, and the more of his power to be a church that doesn't just know the good news, but embodies the good news as we step out into the city. I'm going to invite the band to come up and join me. We're going to sing one song. Before we do, I'm going to pray. Can I invite you to stand with me, if you're able to? And I, I simply... I'm going to pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. And we're going to wait. God, you are here in this place. 
Won't you come, Holy Spirit, as we yield our lives to you, come and minister to us. And we just take a moment to wait. For some of you, during the sermon, you'll have sort of been thinking about times in your past where maybe you, you did a Ouija board with your friends or you went to a palm reader or something, something, and you're thinking, oh man, that's, that's me. I want to invite you just in silence to just to name that before God and say, I'm sorry. I trust you completely, God. I close that door to the work of the enemy in my life. Just pray that prayer now, really simply where you are. There are people in our church community and our church family and then people known to us who are going through treatment for cancer at the minute. Maybe if you know somebody going through treatment for cancer, just silently where you are, just pray that God will draw alongside them, that in his grace and mercy, he will bring healing. Maybe somebody here who has pain in their feet. Maybe it's their right foot. Father, for, for that pain, I just pray in Jesus' name, be healed, be gone. For anybody who wants more of God in their life, just a deeper walk, more of his love, more of what he has for you. Just open your hands and, and just where you are, pray, come Holy Spirit. And just receive from God now, just in a moment. For anybody who is not yet a Christian or feels they've just sort of fallen away significantly, this is your prodigal son, your prodigal daughter moment. This is your, your homecoming moment where the atoning, forgiving work of Jesus is held out to you, where the victory of Jesus is held out to you, where God's saying, I want you to be part of my family. I, I have a life for you better than anything this world can offer. If you want to become a Christian this morning or you need to rededicate yourself to, to Jesus this morning, pray with me. Jesus, I'm broken. I know there's things in my life that are wrong. I know there's things I've messed up. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for paying the price for my forgiveness and my eternity. I turn to you now. Holy Spirit, come and make your home in my life. And seal in me that I am now your child. In Jesus' name, amen.